In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me today. Cody, how are you? Life's good. I'm stoked to be here. I'm so stoked to have you. And, you know, it's just a true honor to have you here today and see another woman in finance and just in business, just like out there crushing it and inspiring the world to do the same, which I adore and love so much. So, Cody, I know you have a hell of a journey that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. What inspired you on this journey to where you are today, really? You know, I started off as a journalist. So I was covering stories along the U.S.-Mexico border about human trafficking and drug smuggling. And what I quickly realized is, you know, there are a lot of other people with the last name Sanchez, but the difference between me and them was that I had a different socioeconomic standing. It wasn't even that I was American. It was, you know, that I grew up middle-class-ish. And so I wanted to understand this financial language of money. And once I did, I wanted to spread that to as many people as possible. And so I did that first by employing a lot of minorities women. And then I did it by working in country in Latin America for quite a number, number of years. And then we did it in cannabis by funding a bunch of businesses and, and pushing back against sort of the stigma around this drug. And now we do it through kind of sharing the things I've learned in finance and from building financial freedom with other people. And so the idea is financial freedom leads to personal freedom, which leads to philosophical freedom, meaning your ability to think for yourself without having somebody, you know, potentially holding it over your head. And that's what got me here today. That's incredible. You're such a rock star. So starting off in journalism. So I have a lot of questions for you. Another one that I have for you is, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be? I think I always wanted to be in business. You know, as a, at a young age, I had a, uh, I had a bookstore. I was like slinging books from my parents that I wasn't supposed to, you know, the bookstore was located on the front lawn and, um, you know, I would sell anything that anybody was willing to buy coming through. I enslaved my little brother into it and my cousin, Caroline. So from a young age, I was always trying to do, I was always trying to do business. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur, although he'd probably never call himself that. He was a founder. And so I was always trying for that, exactly, trying to figure out how to play in the realm of business. And I think I always knew that was going to be the road that I took. And it was either that or it was writing because I was ravenous, like always in the library, love reading books. And so between those two things, I, I think I've kind of maneuvered both of them into life now, which is cool to see and fun to do. Totally. That's why your content is so good. Is that journalism in you and that writing? That's so awesome. That's so awesome. I love that. I love that. So what inspired you into the book realm? Like writing, reading, writing, anything in particular, like in your childhood? I wonder if libraries still do this. I'm sure they do. But I remember every summer there would be a summer reading program in our local library and they would give you this map. And on the map, 
you would have to read so many books to get to the end and win something. I'm sure something de minimis. I can't even remember what now. But uh, I would fill it out every year and then I would do maybe like two that summer. And so I think it was a game for me at first. And, you know, I think they say the way to teach somebody to love reading is to start reading anything whatsoever that interests you, like have no snobbery about it. Pick a cartoon, you know, pick a comic, pick whatever you want, but just read about something that really interests you. And then the more you read about things that interest you, the more you can get out into other subjects as you just become comfortable with reading overall. And so I think all I read for probably decades were like science fiction and fantasy books. If there was like a dragon on the cover, if there was, you know, something like Lord of the Rings, I was in. And that's led to today. Now I read, you know, mostly I read books about biographies or history or self-help or philosophy or ideas, but it really all came and started with the dragon. (laughs) That's incredible. It all started from the dragon, huh? Wow. That's remarkable, Cody. That's remarkable. I always like to see like, where does it come from? Where does it stem from? And like, who's been your biggest mentor in your life, would you say? I think I probably choose different mentors for different things. Most of my mentors, though, probably have come from books. I mean, I've had incredible humans in my life. And I kind of talk about being a collector of humans. I'm always trying to curate my network and to spend a lot of time bringing people into my network that I think can benefit me and that I can benefit them. I'm really not passive about my friendships. So, you know, as I've changed through time, I I sort of move through friends that are also wanting to, to change through time with me. And so I think that's really important that you don't just stay static in your friendships and you can keep friends for long periods of time. I certainly have many, but to keep growing. And so my biggest mentors have probably been you know, the biographies I read, the lessons I learned there. And then over the last, I'd say probably five years, two to five years, joined a couple incredible groups. Like we have one at Contrarian Thinking now. People that used to be my mentors are now in my in my group, uh, which is super fun. But I have like Mike Dillard in there, who's become a dear friend, who's based here and runs like ran one of the longest standing podcasts out there and is just a absolute machine at how to turn things from the internet into real businesses. You know, and then I have like, old mentors, like one of my first bosses, Bob Kendall, who ran uh, a really big business at Deutsche Bank, who I still stay in touch with today. And now he's on the newsletter. So it's been cool. The newsletter seems to be a way to keep all these mentors in my life. And then I, I sort of believe you should have mentors sort of like you have a board of advisors. There's no human that I think has everything right, myself included, but we pick different people for different aspects, maybe finances, maybe family, maybe fitness, whatever the case may be. So I have plenty of those. I love that. And so what took you from journalism to contrarian thinking? Because I know, and like you've been in Wall Street and you've had this like incredible career and I know you're super humble. So I'm going to pick at that because I think it's so awesome. Well, like the advice that I usually give about this is I remember vividly not wanting to go to a conference. I was on the phone with my mom in a car and I was late to this like Latinas or women in finance conference or something. And I didn't want to go. And I was tired. I had a bunch of other school stuff going on in college. And she was like, just go. Like, when do you ever regret going? You can leave if you don't like it, but why don't you just at least show up? And so I did. And at that dinner, I ended up meeting the person who hired me to my first job out of college, which is Vanguard, where I did an accelerated development program. It's a big financial institution. And so the life lesson there was just show up. Because if you go where the game is played, there's a higher likelihood that you're going to get to play too. And so that advice sort of stuck with me throughout all of my careers and trying to go to all the conferences and the segments that I thought were interesting and trying to surround myself with groups of humans who are playing the game that I want to play and, uh, and showing up again and again and again. And, you know, I remember one job 
there was this job I really wanted at State Street, and which is another big financial firm. And I was at Goldman at the time. And I wanted to leave Goldman and go to the institutional side of the business. And I wanted to build this big business for them. And they were like, not interested. You know, I was too young. I had no experience basically in this. And so I, you know, bothered them. They said no. Then I flew out to bother one of the managers in Boston, actually. And he also said no nicely. And then I flew out to San Francisco to bother one of the other uh, managers in San Francisco. And then finally, after I think I had flown to one of the, oh, Dallas, uh, one, I met one of them here for a conference. And finally, after I had been like to these three locations, basically being like, just hire me. You're not going to regret it. I'm going to be relentless. You know, they were finally like, okay, I guess we have to give her something or she's going to keep annoying us. And so I think that's the second thing is like, just show up. And then, you know, if they don't come to you, uh, throw your own party. And so I did that time and time again through my career. I found very few jobs just by people offering them to me. Usually it's me chasing them and beating them down with a stick. And I don't really have any ego about that. It's it's worked out well, I think, for both sides of the equation. Amen. I love that. I love that you knocked down those doors to make something happen because I feel like a lot of people wait and they wait and they're like, why is this not happening? And I'm like, you got to get out there and get it. Like you got to go. So true. Rise. That's why I love that you went out there not once, but what four times before yeah, some three or four times. <laughs> That's unreal. How did you deal with that rejection? The reason I asked this is I know that there's people listening that deal with rejection all the time, especially right now, as there's a lot of job transitions with COVID and yeah. things like that. You know, a lot of people are having a hard time with that. How did you sort of maneuver with rejection? As I know everyone handles it differently. Yeah. I mean, for me, I really divorce usually rejection of myself for a job from rejection of me. Now, when a business I have that I'm public on fails, I take that pretty hard. Like, I think when you're an entrepreneur and you build a baby and it's not working, I'm like, oh, this hurts. You know, that's, or, you know, they, they don't show up and they told me they were going to show up when I built this thing like that, I still struggle with. And, you know, and then I have to do all the normal things. I have to go talk to a bunch of people about it. I have to like walk myself off the edge of the cliff. But when it comes to somebody saying no for me for a job, I think the best thing that you can do is try to build up your self-confidence and your skill set as much as possible. Because for me, I'm like, oh, this idiot, he's totally missing out. I need to convince him. He has no idea that I'm the best thing that's ever happened to him. And why? Why is he saying no? Oh, God, let's educate this man. And so that's usually the way that my brain's thinking. And if I really want it, I will just keep going after it until I get it. But I think if you can play that game with yourself, even when you're, I mean, there were times that there was another job at Credit Suisse that I really wanted. That was another big leap for me. And they ended up giving it to another girl. And then uh, like six months later, she left or didn't work out or whatever. And they called me and I was like, I knew it. And then I told them no. And I was like, oh, now it feels extra good. But I think the, the key is like, can you tell yourself a different story? Instead of the story being, they didn't want me. I got rejected. No, it's really hard to get a job. Nobody's hiring. Instead of that, it's like, oh my gosh, well, there's a lot of people that need to be educated out there about why they need me in their company. And I've always done better too about being very direct about who I want to work for. Like I want to work for this company and I want to work in this space. And because that's rare, most people are like, I want a job that makes X, but because I'm pretty targeted, that there's a different feeling that employers get from that. They're like, wow. She's like, I want to work here for you for this reason, no other reason. 
And that's actually really hard for us to turn down as humans. We have selection bias, right? So if Mm -hmm. I'm the hiring manager and I already work at this company and I have already made that decision, I've already plowed a lot of time and my life into it. If you are confirming my decision to be at this company and you are saying, I want to work for you specifically, and I want to work at that company, you're confirming me as a human. And so it's actually a psychological trick that you can play on hiring managers. And it's very hard to turn down consistently. That's incredible. So anybody who's listening, selection bias, like that is incredible that you're super targeted. That's mind blowing. So I just studied NLP. Like I did my first round of it last month and just learning all these new neuro-linguistics programming and how the mind works. It's the most fascinating thing in the whole world. So when you said that, I was like, a light bulb went off from a wow. Interesting. I'll have to learn about it. Lots of people are talking about it today, but I haven't really spent much time in the sector. Oh man, happy to talk to you about it because you would absolutely love it. What you just mentioned, it's it's like everything is programmed up here and psychology is just unreal and amazing. Selective. And and that's such a great tip though, for anybody who's out there looking for something. And I even for clients too. I feel like that's a hack for like sales as well. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm sure you've used that in the sales side too. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to believe in what you're selling first. I think that's the easiest hack. And if you don't believe in it, there's so many things to sell out there in the world. Go change. Like, you know, there's no, I always, you know, when I'm feeling down, if I'm ever selling something or when I was more in straight sales, as opposed to running my own businesses, I would always go back and watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross because it's the most depressing movie of all time, in my opinion. It's just like these salespeople, like going down this drain of this horrible timeshare company nobody wants to buy. And I always, whenever I watch it, I remember like, you don't have to stay. Nobody has to stay at their job, at least here in the US. So like, go change it up, go work for somebody else, Uh, go find something that actually lights you up to sell, because it's much easier to do uh, when you do that. And then it's the same thing. Then you're educating people on why they should thank you for bringing this thing into their lives. And that's why I never feel bad about selling the stuff, the business that I own now. I'm like, it's the best. You're welcome. You know, I should raise the price, but I'm not going to right now, but get in here. Like the the crowd's all here, you know? Oh, awesome. And speaking of your business, how did you make that transition from Wall Street to your own business? Because that's a huge jump and a huge shift, especially given golden handcuffs, which is the reason why a lot of people get held back, right? Working for these huge companies that give you ridiculous incentives and then to go out there and do your thing, especially as a young woman is, is super remarkable. It was hard. It took years. I mean, I did a ton of little side businesses that either didn't work or that started to work and then my main company got pissed and told me to shut them down. I mean, for decades, I did this. And so, you know, there's no part of me that was just brave enough to do this and to, to just jump into the golden handcuffs. I really had to create, it's why I obsess over cash flow right now. It's probably all from my own PTSD. I really had to feel like I had financial freedom before I could go start my own thing. I had to feel like I had an FU fund where at any moment, like if they didn't like what I was doing, but I was building this other thing, I'd be like, FU, I'm out. And so uh, I needed to have that, that safety. It was just a mental block that I had. So when I finally did it, I was making more money in my other stuff than I was in the, the main business. But that took me years. If I had actually instead started 10 years earlier 
and made the same decisions that I was making today, I think I would have been even better financially off. And I would have been happier and not had to travel as much as I did at the time because we almost traveled like consultants for years. But let me say, I don't think everybody should be an entrepreneur. I don't try to glamorize it. It's a miserable existence often. So in my world, I think what everybody should have are multiple income streams, which does not mean you have to be an entrepreneur. It can just mean that you have a job you love and something that you're really good at doing, but you also have an Airbnb or two, or you also have a family unit, or you also own a percentage of a small business or a few small businesses. That, I think there's no reason why we shouldn't all have that because if employers weren't so fear-based either, they would tell you, we want you to work here because you want to work here, not because we have to shackle you with handcuffs from an income perspective. You know, everybody on my team at Contrarian Thinking they make plenty of money elsewhere. They don't have to stay with me. And we talk about it all the time. Are you enjoying it? Do you like what you're doing? Do you want to do something else? I'll help you figure something else out. Never trying to hold somebody to me with a chain. And because of that, I think they do incredible work and they're willing to do it without all the normal budding heads that employers and employees can have. Right. I love that. So what inspired this big jump for you? Because it is a huge jump. Like how, what really made you pull that trigger and be like, all right, we're going to yeah. do this. I don't really like to be told what to do. So I think that was part of it. You know, at some point, like once you get a taste of freedom, you're hard to employ, I think, if you have my personality. So what I really don't like about corporate America and finance in general is there's an attitude of one, we've always done it this way, thus we're going to continue. And there's an attitude of, I know better because I've been here longer. And there's an attitude of like, just shut up and do your work. And I experienced that a lot in finance. And I was like, first of all, you guys are wrong. And just because we used to do it this way doesn't mean we should do it today. And the fact that you have some ego wrapped up in a manner of which we execute business tells me that you're not somebody I want to learn from. You know, when, when I'm wrong on my team, which is all the time, the team members will be like, Cody, that's, that makes no sense. I just, it just happened. I was just working through a video process for something. And one of my employees was like, no, it makes way more sense to send it in this way batched. And, you know, we should have this micro process. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're totally right. I'm sorry. I got in the middle of it. Do it that way. And a lot of times in these financial firms, there's this massive ego about being right and being listened to. I'm sure it's the same in big real estate for you. And so I just was over it. Uh, And I was over a bunch of people who were good at financial leverage and arbitrage, trying to tell me how to run a business. So I got a little chip on my shoulder. But, you know, that being said, I'm glad I worked in it for a number of years because I learned so much from the processes, the systems, the trade. In finance, you get incredible training. You know, I got my MBA paid for for free. I made a lot of money at the time. And many of my investors today are people I worked with, worked for, who worked for me over the years. So it's definitely a net benefit. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I love what you mentioned about the FU fund. I think everybody listening should have an FU fund just the way Cody did. I think it's super awesome. It's super awesome. So in case anything ever happens, because that's the biggest problem, right? Most people in America have one income stream, AKA your job, AKA when you lose that job, you are AKA screwed. (laughs) Like, you know, it's, it's like, you gotta just make sure that you have those different revenue streams coming in some way, somehow. And like, you don't have to invest money. So anyone who's listening is like saying money, money, you can put sweat equity into things and you can mm-hmm. own a percentage. Like a friend of mine who's an attorney, he's like, Pam, I own part of a tech company. I was just like, dude, that's sweet. Awesome. I was like, what did you do? Did you invest? What, like, what did you do? He's like, no, I just do all the legal work. 
hello, bartering. <laughs> totally. Super awesome, right? Like you don't have, like, it's not like this genius thing. And I love that. And so tell me about your business and the awesome work that you do. Cause I know, but anybody listening doesn't tell me all about Contrarian. Yeah. Well, Contrarian Thinking's fun. It's a, it's a newsletter in a community. So the newsletter goes out once a week. And the idea is to teach people to think critically and cash flow unconventionally. And so, you know, we try to wake people up with words I kind of talk about. And the way that we do that is through really tactical playbooks. So like each week you'll get like something to kind of entertain you or push back on the way that you think. Uh, They're called my rants. And then there's a segment that is super tactical. So it's like how to make uh, $15,000 a month with a vending machine, how to buy land for 10K and cash flow $1,500 a month on it. You know, how to use mailboxes to gross 120K a year in a pack and ship business. And so we take real examples of real humans who have built boring, normal businesses. And we teach you how to build those same things or buy those same things. And then we push back a little bit on frameworks that I think we were poorly taught in school. So we have a lot of fun with it. And I, what I felt like is there were so many newsletters that were about ideas and there weren't as many that were about, okay, I have an idea and now what do I do with it? How do I take it to the next level? And that's what we do at Contrarian Thinking. And then at Contrarian Cashflow, which is our premium version, we give everybody the exact template. So it's like 12 times a a year, one a month, we will do, we will invest in a business. So I'll buy land or I'll buy a tiny home and I'll give everybody that's in our group the exact tools that we used. And so over the course of the year, you can kind of follow along and out of the 12, be like, okay, well, I kind of like the one on tiny homes. I didn't really like the one on laundromats. I'm going to buy a vending machine or I'm going to start one of these or I'm going to have my kid do it. And we all can create a portfolio of small bets as opposed to, like you said, the one income stream. So now you could, by the end of the year, you could have 12 of them, or you could pick one of the 12 and double down on it and do a lot of them. So that was the idea. That's so fun. Oh man. See, this is the stuff we need to learn in school. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. So what inspired you in that realm to work on that specific thing about the the different income streams and stuff like that, just through your experience in in finance? Yeah. Well, I think it was, I started contouring last year during the pandemic and I started off writing about theory and ideas, but what I realized was exactly what you were talking about. Unless people are financially free, they can take ideas and listen to them, but they can't really actuate them. So I was like, wow, what would happen if we had a world in which people did not rely on their income stream in order to live? And if they had other things that they were doing and the work that they did in the world was because one, they thought it should exist, two, they were uniquely skilled at it, and three, they really loved it, I think our world would look a lot different. And so we want to create a ton of humans who have that freedom so that they can work and build and do the things that really speak to them, you know, they were meant to do and not worry about how am I going to pay my next bill? Because I think a lot of times people try to turn their hobbies or that idea inside of their head to their monetary income source. And maybe that doesn't make sense. Like maybe what you really want to do is build this crazy startup and it's going to mean that for two or three years, you have $0 in income, but at the end of it, like the world needed this thing and you were able to do it because you had a couple of different income streams that allowed you to build it without you having to take massive venture capital or borrow from your mom or your dad or grandma or whatever. I love that. That kind of touches on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs where if you're in survival mode, you cannot do anything else. You are just worried about making sure you have a roof over your head and food on the table. And that's exactly what you're getting at, which I think is so incredible. 
so incredible because if, if you can empower people to be financially free, you can empower them much higher as you were talking yes. about earlier in this interview, which I think is truly the key to success, which I adore. Oh my gosh. And you said you started this during the pandemic too. That's yes. even more insane. Yeah. Well, it was easier because I wasn't having to travel around so much. So we got to stay in one spot and that made it really easy to create. And I think for a lot of people, the pandemic also realigned your priorities. It was like mortality was staring you right in the face. And you asked yourself, what do I really want to do? Do Is it just that I want to add more zeros to my net worth? Or is it that I want to create something where, you know, if I don't make it, there'll be something left after me. And so those two things really pushed me forward. And I, I consider it kind of a blessing. That's incredible. So technically you're a startup entrepreneur in this realm, which is awesome. Yeah, that's that's so right. Awesome. So I'm sure all the entrepreneurs listening, you know, what were some of the biggest challenges in the beginning? And then what were some of your biggest successes? Well, the biggest challenges, I'm not very tech enabled. So one of the biggest challenges was if I build this media business, what's the right way to do it? and through what platform. So I started with one platform that was kind of a catch-all solution, but then I realized, you know, if you build something on somebody else's platform, then they own your audience and you really don't. And so um, one of the big plat- one of the big challenges even today is we switched to our own website and we're, we optimized our backend. So it actually works really well for paid members, but that's been a huge learning journey for me because I've been in finance for a long time. So, you know, I'm not a, a smart tech nerd that knows how to enable all of that. And the other trend, and I actually, I know nothing about that. I've never had a paid newsletter before. You know, I've, I've done a billion deals in my life, but I've never done this. And then the second thing was probably just getting over the fear of getting out there. Like I'm pretty public now. And there are a lot of people, whenever you go public, that are used to seeing you one way. And when you move to be seen another way, I'm sure it's similar for you, real estate to then having a podcast and being more public. They're like, no, 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 stay in your lane. This is the Pam we know. You know, this is the Cody we know. And you just have to expect that and then break against it. And it's, it's hard to do. And it, it'll happen continuously in your career. Like when I first started coming out, people were like, oh, are you going to write about cannabis? And I was like, no, cannabis is one asset class that I have a large private equity fund in, um, but it's not what I want to write about. So, you know, then I write about all these other things and they're like, oh, okay, perfect. Now you only write about laundromats. I'm like, no, that's also not what I want to do. And so it's, you have to stay true to who you are and not let other people boss you around. And people will constantly be trying to typically the most from your closest circle. So that was the biggest challenge for me was saying like, I'm sorry, I don't, I love you. And I don't care what you think. <laughs> <laughs> I Oh, I can resonate so heavily with everything that you just said. That's for sure. It's Entrepreneurship is like a mental game. I swear it's like continuous and it never stops. And, and, and when it comes from your closest, you're just like, like you said, I love you, but um, don't care what you think. Moving forward. Boom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Takes a while. It sure does. Oh man. And and what have been some of your biggest success stories? Like your, your most favorite moments in doing what you do? Well, man, I mean, when you get yourself out there publicly, the people that you start to be able to engage with are incredible. It's incredible. I mean, so much different from the monetary success you look for in a salary. This just opens up your aperture. It's like a camera where like, you know, your lens is really, really tiny and then it opens and opens and opens and you see that there's all these other things that it reveals. And so I think the biggest wins have been, well, one, 
you know, we now have a seven figure newsletter that's cruising inside of a year and a half, which is awesome. And I've employed a bunch of people to that regard, which is really cool. We have actually gotten, um, there's been now more than the 20 newsletters our readers have told us have been spurred off of ours. We've had more than 30 people buy or start a business. We've had tons of people tell us and count up their financial freedom. So we just had one yesterday that told me that they bought one of the businesses that we talked about, and now they have $14,000 in monthly passive income from it. So like getting those stories all the time of hearing people actuate these ideas, you know, it makes you feel, we all want to feel important, right? And we all want to feel like we're leaving an impact and a legacy. At the end of the day, I almost think that's what we want more than anything. And so those are the biggest wins for me by far. Anytime we can make people money and where we can make them sort of do the thing they were supposed to be doing, that's a huge win. You're amazing. I love that. That's so incredible. Oh man, what a legacy. What a legacy. And you've just started, like you're literally a year and a half in and like, look at this. Ah, you're so amazing. It feels like 10, but yes, you're right. Only a year and a half in. You got this though. How amazing. And so what would be some of your biggest tips you would say in diversifying yeah. revenue streams or just regular business tips in general, whatever, whatever you feel called. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, first of all, the income stream thing is huge. Like you guys can sign up for contrary and thinking at contraryandthinking.co. It's free. And on there, I would just say like read through, there's probably 50 or 60 or 70 emails on there, read through them and, and pick one and actually start taking some action. I really like people to try to take one tiny step forward on these ideas every single day, because if you do that for 30 days, you're going to be hard pressed to not have another income stream coming at you, even if it's small, but that's okay. Small compounds. So that would, I would be the, I would say the biggest thing. And then the second thing is like, don't be afraid to be public because there's probably people out there looking for somebody just like you. And, you know, I have lots of friends that don't even do it with their face. Like I was just having a chat with this guy, Mr. Five to Eight, who is a, um, an investor on TikTok. He has millions of followers. He's doing incredibly well and you will never see his face on a TikTok. It's completely blank. And so you don't have to have it tied to your, your face or your personality, but I do think you'll be really amazed at the doors that open when you start becoming a creator as opposed to just becoming a consumer. And I do think that's the way the world is going, that creators in all the respective industries that we have will be able to pick their opportunities and will be able to pick their income flows and consumers, they won't have that same opportunity. I love that. I love that. Oh man, Cody. And, and now question for you, which is one of my favorite questions ever. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? It would probably say like, take the jump sooner. Like bet on yourself. You don't need a bunch of middle-aged white guys in order to do something. You know, you can love them. You know, I definitely do. I have a great dad, a great, a great fiance, but you don't really need to have somebody else to be successful in a role or a venture. And man, it's taken me a long time to realize that. So just like, go do it, go start it now. The risk return ratio for when you start a business early, you have so much left, less to lose. You know, you don't have kids yet. Probably you don't have a big mortgage payment. You haven't had lifestyle creep happen. So start now because it just gets harder to start later. It doesn't mean it's not possible. I got plenty of people who are incredibly successful and just started at 40, 50, 60, but it's easier when you're younger. That's amazing. And then, so now you talked a little bit about contrary. What are you up to now? Like in the next six to 12 months, what's going on in your world? Yeah, well, we're going to create, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to create a rolling fund to invest in these small and medium boring businesses that I talked about. It's a segment of the market that usually only really wealthy can invest in through private equity funds. 
And we want to democratize that. So just like now, a lot of people can invest in real estate. I think in 10, 20 to 30 years, a lot of people will be investing in or wish they had invested in small businesses. It's a little bit more complex, but it has a much higher ROI when done right. Return on income, you make more money from it when done right. And so we're going to start that fund. So if you guys want to participate and you're accredited, you can go to countryandthinking.co and when we announce it, you'll, you'll see it there. And I think what we're going to do is Try to get more and more ways, whether it's education or events or more community groups for people to engage with other humans who are interested in the same thing. The most fascinating thing for me is learning from a new human every day, if I can, in a different subject matter and investing with interesting humans and interesting ideas, because I know I don't want to stay in one thing for 10 years. I get bored. But if I invest, my money doesn't get bored and it keeps working for me. So that's the goal. You are amazing. Thank you so, so, so much for being here. Today. So fun. You're incredible. I cannot wait. I'm going to sign up for that newsletter. I'm going to get those tips because I see it on Instagram and I'm like, yes, like, yes, like, it's like she's so awesome. So thank you so, so much. And everyone listening, please check her out. Where can we find you, Cody? Where can we find you? Well, I'm on Instagram, like you mentioned, Cody Sanchez. And I think the best place is contrarianthinking.co. Go sign up for the newsletter. Uh, and I'm super active there, Instagram and Twitter. So pick your poison. <laughs> I love it. Thank you again so much for being here today. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.